Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. All right, let's get this show on the road. Here we go now. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the real leaders podcast i'm your host kevin edwards joining us today folks we have the founder and ceo of eco fashion style corp please give a warm welcome miss marcy zaroff marcy thanks for being with us again on the show yay hey kevin great to be here thanks for having me of course now marcy we've had you on the show i want to say this is probably our third time <laughs> on the show always something new to learn from you and one of the things I didn't know that I just learned is that you're a huge fan of 60s style rock, <laughs> underground rock, kind of in the hippie era. Like, tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into this space, uh, some of the origins of, of why and who you are today. Yeah, well, um, I actually grew up in South Florida for the most part, um, so it wasn't exactly the most progressive place, but I did go to school at Berkeley, uh, UC Berkeley, and uh, graduated with a business degree, which really kind of sums up, you know, the way I describe myself was, you know, I'm a bridge builder, right? And I've always set out to, br to bridge worlds, and whether that's, you know, food to fiber, or it's the tree hugger and the fashionista, or it's the tribe and the boardroom. You know, I've lived at the intersection of, you know, style and sustainability or, you know, being in this kind of mainstream world, but also being in a very conscious lifestyle for the past, you know, 35 years. So, you know, going back to when you talk about, you know, my my music 
uh, my favorite genre of music. It really, you know, I'm I'm a hippie at heart, right? And so when I was 15 or 16 years old, a girlfriend of mine gave me a book. And this is, you know, again, being, you know, in South Florida where, um, you know, this was more the rarity than the norm, but gave me a book called Living in the Light by Shakti Gawain. And that really set the tone for who I think I be become. And it, and it really started my own journey and my path you know, towards this kind of self-realization and discovery and conscious lifestyle. Um, I became a vegetarian, you know, at that time. And I stumbled upon the brand Aveda, which at the time only had one product. And I just went, whoa, like that made every bit of sense to me. I read the label. I was inspired by, you know, the healing power of plants and the indigenous wisdom. And, and yet it was just an amazing beauty product that if you open it and smell it, you're like, ah, wow. Right. And so going to business school um, at Berkeley, you know, for me, it was really about leveraging the power of business to affect positive change in the world and to transform business. And, and I was speaking this language, you know, back in the eighties. And so, you know, I guess to some extent, you know, people could say I was ahead of my time, but it just made sense to me, right? It, it resonated the whole concept of, you know, which many of us have heard the five P's, right? Good business um, being about, you know, not just profit, but passion and purpose and people and planet. And so, you know, throughout college, I was cooking organic and natural foods, going to environmental conferences, learning about sustainability before anyone knew what that was. I was practicing yoga. This is in the 80s. Um, and, you know, I just my whole lifestyle was very much, you know, lent itself to thinking beyond the surface, which is what that book really was about. And so when I graduated, I um started the first school in the world that I knew of that really took people on this journey. And initially it was called Gulliver's Living and Learning Center to similar to Gulliver's Travels or inspired by Gulliver's Travels that we were taking people on a journey. And we changed the name a few years into the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Today, that school is the world's largest holistic health nutrition school, has certified almost 200,000 people worldwide as health coaches, programs in, I believe, 160 countries around the world. And that started out of my apartment where my, you know, our first students were really my sisters and sister-in-laws just supporting me. And, um, and it's grown, obviously, you know, significantly through the years. But that really set the tone for me in terms of understanding that, you know, not just you are what you eat, but every choice that we make is an extension of who we are. So fast forward, that led me, you know, down the rabbit hole where partnered with Aveda to connect food and beauty and open the first Aveda concept salon in New York with the founder of Aveda, who became my mentor of 25 plus years and, and one of my dearest friends. Um, and then in 1995, I coined and trademarked the term eco-fashion right? To style the world of change that I was coming out of, but change the world of style that I also had a passion for having gotten best dressed in high school. But again, in South Florida, that probably doesn't say much. Sure. Um, but then, um, but, you know, and I've, and I've, you know, been a serial entrepreneur for the past um, several decades. You know, I started after I sold IIN, um, I started the first sustainable fashion and home brand in North America called Under the Canopy. And that's after, you know, trademarking the term eco fashion when people thought I was crazy um, and built under the canopy, starting with, you know, 
partnering with companies like Whole Foods and Aveda, and then ultimately crossing over into the mainstream fashion and lifestyle world, um, selling to Target and Macy's and Bed Bath and Beyond and, and many other major retailers. Fast forward again, I wrote a book called Eco Renaissance, co-creating a stylish, sexy, and sustainable world. The forward was written by the founder of the Veda Horse, Rackelbacher. Um, and uh, the book connects art, food, wellness, fashion, beauty, and business, all the spokes in the wheel of change. And started a consulting agency with my husband called Beyond Brands, launched a food brand, uh, plant-based seafood called Good Catch. And then ultimately today, I'm founder and CEO of Eco Fashion Corp, which hopefully is my grand finale, or I say my, la my last chapter as the CEO. Um, and Eco Fashion Corp has four verticals, which I'm sure we'll dive into. Well, you know, I, I'm just so happy you're able to come back on the show because, you know, folks listening out there, Marcy is just literally and figuratively cut from a different fabric. I mean, she is <laughs> a, a serial entrepreneur who gets how to grow a business. Uh, responsibly and do it the right way. And you've learned not just from successes, but also from the failures. I'm curious to know from the serial entrepreneurial lens, like what are the core ingredients of what make up uh, not just a good business, but a good impactful business? Yeah, well, you know, good business and, and being an entrepreneur sort of inherently, right, tenacity and passion and persistence and, you know, and vision, right, as, as, uh, Jonathan Swift once said, you know, vision is the art of seeing things invisible, right? And obviously I've been inspired by Jonathan Swift with the Gulliver's um, Living and Learning Center as well. But, you know, it's really about setting that vision and every choice that you make, whether you're building a service business or a product oriented business, it's about, you know, for me, it's always been about making choices that are not just about the yes, right? Not just about in food, the taste, or in beauty products, the scent and functionality, or in fashion, the style and quality. It's also about the and, right? The and for me is the value add. It's about looking at the social and environmental impacts of every decision that you're making in that business. And, you know, it's not about being perfect, it's about making best efforts, right? And it's about the journey, right? Lao Tzu once said, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. It's about taking those steps forward and recognizing that, you know, I think the, the almost the law of a good entrepreneur is knowing when to pivot. And I can tell you one thing, you know, when you set a vision, it's not gonna go, the, the journey is not gonna go the way you, think it's going to it's always going to be twists and turns and you know almost like riding a roller coaster getting flipped upside down a few times and being enjoying that ride enjoying the journey right because it's not about the destination it really is about the journey and and growing every step of the way right so not getting stuck in the muck but instead seeing every single challenge as an opportunity to get smarter stronger and better and so when you talk about good business, you know, again, it's looking through that lens of doing well by doing good in the world, right? And not having a linear or single focus, but having a more collective vision and understanding the power of co-creation that everything we see in, on, and around ourselves today is something we've created. So let's create a new reality, one where that serves us, that serves humanity, that serves all living species and 
you know, nothing is more powerful than business in that regard. I, I love the mindset of entrepreneurs and certainly the, the mindset you just alluded to, you know, seeing those challenges as opportunities. And, you know, it sounds like it's good on paper, but in reality, like it's, it's, it's happening. And this is a mindset that has had to adapt over time, over many failures or challenges that have presented itself to you. I'm curious to, you know, people love stories on this podcast. I'm curious to see if you'd like think back, you know, to some of those challenges, those, those things that popped up, those crazy happenings that happened um, that really, I guess, ingrained into your mindset that you, you now see these things as, as opportunities, these challenges. Are there any stories that come to mind early on in, in your stages of growth um, that you could share with the folks today? Two, two stories just popped in my head. I would say the first one is, which was probably not a pleasant experience, but it was certainly a learning one. Um, you know, as my first, in my first business, um, I brought on a large scale investor who um, I believe was my angel, you know, but perhaps was my devil in disguise. Um, and, you know, he lined the board with people who's bready buttered. And it was under this kind of pretense of, oh, these are all really good board members. But at the end of the day, nobody would speak up against him. And so when he and I had disagreements, um, because there were some sort of underlying challenges I did have with him, um, hashtag me too. Um, but you know, the, the board was just kind of, you know, closed mouth, right? They, they, you know, they wanted to make sure that they didn't do anything that could create waves. And look, I, you know, I grew up as a businesswoman in a different era than today. I think a lot of the things that, you know, um, I faced as a woman in business in the earlier years of my career are probably, you know, they're not, they're certainly not, a, a, you know, great today, but they're certainly better than they were. I think women who go into business today are getting supported in a different way, protected in a different way. Um, and, and have, you know, accountability, um, touch points, right? Like there are ways to call, you know, call situations out that don't feel right, where I think for me, I, I experienced otherwise. Um, so that, that would be one. I would say the other thing I learned, which, um, I found really interesting, but it only served to help further my career is that. You know, a lot of business models that are out there there today are really broken and outdated. And whether we're talking about, you know, trying to rebuild U.S. manufacturing, which is something I've, you know, I've spent a lot of time trying to do, or it's, you know, working with some of the biggest retailers in America where they're, you know, different divisions and, you know, whether you're talking about design, product development, sourcing, um, finance, operations, sustainability, everybody operates in silos. Well, if we're going to make change happen, we need to create ecosystems that sort of mirror, you know, our environment, right? Like we have to remind ourselves that we're not outside of the environment. We're actually a part of it. We have a very symbiotic relationship with our environment. We breathe out oxygen. We breathe out carbon and nature breathes in carbon and breathes out oxygen which we breathe in. So that interdependence is a reminder to us that we're just part of a collective ecosystem. And I, and that's a big part of what my book is about, eco-renaissance. 
right? This rebirth of humanity that is, you know, built on this, you know, awakening that we are all connected in an ecosystem globally, and which the pandemic also taught us, right? As well as, you know, within our own local and regional ecosystems, as well as, you know, our relationship with our environment and the planet around us and every living species for that matter. You know, it's interesting. I guess I don't know why, but what comes to mind right now for me are just like your core motivations and like what drives you as an entrepreneur and your business decision making and your mindset or shifted. Like when I ask you about the story, you go straight to an individual who maybe did something unethical, which shaped your kind of mindset, you know, hardened you up and you know, you learned a lot from that experience. I'm curious to know, Marcy, like like your core motivations, are they to serve the environment as a stakeholder or are they something to, you know, make money and, and please others and, and you know, do, be a good business person? So one of my favorite um, quotes from my mentor and, and con concepts we used to discuss all the time is serving others is serving ourselves. So I've always seen business almost as a calling for me because, you know, my lifestyle and growing up in a place where, you know, I, I like good food. I love good fashion. I, you know, I, as much as I love to camp out, you know, I, I don't live in a yurt, you know, off the grid. Um, and so I've always thought about, you know, how can I change these systems? Going back to what I was talking about at this major retailer is, you know, that system being broken and, and is almost a reflection of who we are as people and who we've become as people, right? Which is, you know, the reason I think we experience in this country so many mental health issues is there's a disconnect between our personal values and our professional values, you know, and I'm a Henry Crown Fellow of the Aspen Institute. And for many years, you know, when I was in the program, you know, one thing that always kind of was eye-opening to me was, you know, we talk about good leadership and we talk about good business. But to me, you know, understanding our relationship to our fellow humans, to all living species, to our environment, that was always like very intuitive for me, right? And so there's almost this calling, this legacy that I then just got latched onto, which is how do I teach others that, but not teach them necessarily by preaching, but teach by example, right? Like walk the talk, talk the walk. You know, if I say it enough times, if I'm out there telling people that, you know, the fashion industry is so polluting and we're putting it on our bodies. So it's not just, you know, what we eat, but also what we wear that matters. I mean, people used to look at me cross-eyed when I said that, that, you know, the amount of human and environmental impacts that are going into the fashion industry, which again is where I spend most of my time, you know, are not sustainable. And there's only so long we can keep going on this, you know, perpetual treadmill of degradation and pollution and destruction until the whole thing crashes. And the one thing that makes me so sad today as somebody who does a lot of public speaking and is out there with especially millennial and younger consumers, because they're all getting what I talk about, you know, is this whole idea that, you know, they're talking about like, do I want to have children today? Because I don't know if I want to bring children into this world. That breaks my heart. And in my, in the early year, years of my career, when I used to, you know, pull the curtain back to unveil these, you know, these impacts, you know, waste, water, energy, chemical use, um, 
social justice issues, you know, and climate issues. I mean, all of that, once you have information, you can't turn it off. And I think it was just for me, the more I went down that rabbit hole, the more I learned, the more empowered I got to step up and like, you know, and teach others as much as I can possibly get through, which is why it started as a, you know, business and then, you know, with public speaking and how do I accelerate my voice exponentially, right, is now, you know, being an author and I produced a documentary film series called Driving Fashion Forward and, you know, and, and you know, the world of the internet has been such a gift in the sense that, you know, our voices have gotten exponentially louder and, and you know, stronger by joining forces. Which goes back to, you know, what I said about co-creation, right? One plus one equals 11. That's my motto. Everyone knows I say it all the time because we are so much stronger together than apart. So, you know, collaboration, which everyone talks about in business, is really ultimately about that. It's about bringing our worlds together to, you know, see progress happen. And we're living in this modern day Star Wars, right? Where you've got the light and the dark forces almost like at odds. And to me, it's all about turning on the light. And we have to do that together because the brighter the room gets or the planet gets, right? The more we can all thrive together. I, I love like your experience because I think it's really unique. And I think what might be helpful for folks, if we just give a quick, like, brief education on uh some of the negative impacts of fashion on the environment obviously it's one of the top producers of carbon emissions um you know you mentioned waste water energy usage i'm also curious about labor like what are some of those key educational facts that you could share with our audience today in terms of the negative impact on the environment or society yeah well um you know, statistics vary a bit, but I'll just say, you know, you'll hear fashion, the fashion industry, which touches everybody, right? Everyone wears clothing, um, buys home textiles, um, is the second largest polluter in the world next to coal. 20% of the world's freshwater pollution is coming from industrial, you know, treatment, textile treatment and dying, right? So you can hear and like, if you're in China, you know, one of the most heartbroken, heartbreaking moments I had sitting on a beach with a friend was she was looking up at the sky telling me isn't this such a beautiful night look at all the stars in the sky and i looked up and there were like two stars you know and i had just come from oregon where there were like thousands of stars and i was like moved by like oh the universe is so that ooh, so vast and um and i said to her well i guess everything's relative and she goes yeah well all the textile uh factories were closed today that's why there's so many stars out and it just made me so sad, you know, the amount of toxic pollution. And, you know, we think because we export that to across the world that it doesn't necessarily touch us. But, you know, think of the butterfly effect. We're all in this together, right? The air we're breathing, the planet we're living in, it's like that movie, Don't Look Up, right? There aren't two planets here. There's one planet. And, you know, we have to be thinking, you know, about building win-win solutions. So um, you also will see statistics showing eight to 10% of the world's carbon footprint is coming out of the fashion and textile industry. If you include agriculture, if you include um, transportation, which are clearly fundamental parts of our industry. Um, when you talk about agriculture, uh, you know, less than 3% of the world's agriculture is cotton, even though cotton represents a third of the world's textiles, but cotton uses up to 20% of the most harmful insecticides and 
up to 10% of the most carcinogenic pesticides out there. And it's one of the dirtiest crops in agriculture because people, you know, the misconception is, well, we're not eating it. So who cares, right? Let's just spray the hell out of those plants and get those bull weevils mm. off. But, the, but what people don't realize, we actually are eating it because 60% of a cotton plant gets ginned out in seeds and those seeds get broken down into cottonseed oil, which if you start reading the labels of the food products you're buying, right? It's very commonly used in bread products, snack products. I mean, cottonseed oil is a very commonly used oil. And then the, also the, the uh, seed is used as feed for dairy. So if you eat dairy, right? So, you know, if you're not thinking about organic cotton or, you know, a sustainable cotton, you're actually, you know, free of chemical, harmful chemicals, you actually are ingesting it. And then you look at, you know, the social ramifications, right? Well, you know, one in six people are touching, you know, are women who are touching the fashion industry. And you've got, you know, incredible um, social justice issues, because in cotton, as an example, we have something called the pesticide treadmill, right in India, which is the number one cotton growing region in the world. You know, every half an hour, a conventional cotton farmer is committing suicide. And they're doing that by drinking pesticides, because what's happening is, they're getting lured in by the chemical seed, you know, the chemical companies and the seed companies and told, oh, they're going to get much better yields and it's going to be much better for them. And what they do, they're most of them are illiterate and they don't realize that, you know, the the health ramifications, ultimately the breakdown of soil health, which is a big part of the work that I do, um, understanding, you know, soil health. And when you destroy the living, breathing ecosystems of the soil, you make the plants weaker. And when the plants become weaker, they become, you know, less able to fight off the bugs, no differently than our own immune systems, right? The soil is the skin of the earth. It's like the immune system of the earth, right? Of the plant. And when the plants grow in strong, healthy soil that's filled with nutrients, they're more resistant to the bugs. But, you know, when when the you spray the plant, the soil gets weaker, the plant gets weaker and the bugs infest more, just like, again, in our bodies, you know, a, a weaker immune system will attract more germs, bugs. Right. So, you know, again, you look at every single touch point um, from the energy use to, you know, five percent of our landfills are textile waste. Um, you know, people are are with the proliferation of fast fashion. You've gone from four fashion seasons a year, you know, spring, summer, fall, winter to 52 fashion seasons a year and people buying clothing, the younger generations that they think, oh, I'll just wear it a couple of times on social media and then throw it away. So, you know, there's this, again, linear mentality, but that's not really um that's not really effective because at the end of the day, there's only so long you can, you know, live that way, right? Where we're destroying, um, you know, all of our ecosystems, our lands, ecosystems, and our oceans ecosystems. I mean, microplastics, I'll just end with saying, you know, every single synthetic garment in the history of mankind, okay, you're talking about the last 60 or 70 years plus, you know, nylon, acrylic, polyester, all of these fibers, they don't biodegrade. So what happens? Every time you wash them, they shed tiny little plastic microfibers that go into your washing machines, that go into the water systems, the rivers, and ultimately the oceans. A third of the plastic in the oceans today is textile microfibers. And they're saying that 90% of fish today are actually showing 
traces of these plastic microfibers in their systems. They're eating them like fish food, right? So, you know, there's so many, you know, interconnections of food and fiber, right? Because people who eat seafood or when you eat food, you know, from agriculture that is, you know, or, or product that's made with cottonseed oil, you know, you're ingesting all of these toxic chemicals. And it's, it's you know, it's obviously um, compromising our own sense of health and well-being. It's amazing. I mean, that is a laundry list of negative And there's so much more. <laughs> and, and there's so much more. And, and they're in your book, correct? Many of them are, yes. Okay. A lot of resources, a lot of, lot of uh, facts and, and uh, research, and as well as tips from who I call them my Illuminartists. These are my, my, my modern day Michelangelos um, across each of those, you know, categories of lifestyle, right? So, um, you know, people like Stella McCartney and Amber Valletta in the fashion industry and people like Lauren Bush and, you know, and, and, um, you know, uh, Laura Turner Seidel and the great work they're doing. I mean, it really highlights a lot of, you know, great work that's going on around the world with people speaking the same language but using different vehicles to drive change. And then ultimately, I always say, you know, when I travel around the world, because I, I do travel quite a bit, you know, I love finding people and being around people that doesn't matter if we speak different languages by virtue of being from different countries. Again, we're speaking the same language, which, you know, the more we join forces, the further we can drive, you know, positive progress, which so is Marcy, much needed. Marcy, you started this podcast off saying, you know, I'm a bridge builder. That's what I do. I came from this background. I went here. That's what makes me unique. I'm able to build bridge and really bring this environmental concern or this pollution concern uh, to business leaders to create these market-driven solutions. Now, you talk about this these these corporations. Obviously, everyone needs clothes, and this is a huge industry you're going against. How do you approach these businesses who are going to farmers and saying, "Hey, we're going to increase your yields. Let's talk numbers." How do you go? How do you compete? What's your approach? Help the audience understand how you like to build bridges. Sure. Um, so starting with, you know, I always want to meet people or companies where they are. And it's not about judging them for what they're not doing. And it's not even about doing less bad. It's about empowering them to do more good, but one step at a time. Right. So at Eco Fashion Corp, which we call a greenhouse of brands because, you know, we share operational efficiencies and we share the team, which is, you know, very um, modeled after the old house of brands in the fashion world. But we but we're a greenhouse because we share the soil, we share the DNA, we share that sort of common the soul that's within all of our efforts. So we have kind of a buildable type of model. Right. And MetaWare is the engine of our whole company, right? Because the word meta, which of course now people associate, you know, with Facebook or the metaverse or, you know, is about going beyond. That's what the word meta is, right? So we meet people where they are and we want to take them beyond and we say, all right, menu number one, what are the stories you want to tell? Is it regenerative agriculture? Is it organic? Is it circularity and recycled? fair trade, ethical manufacturing, low impact, um, you know, innovation on fibers and materials. You want to use, you know, food waste, right? There's so much exciting innovation happening. 
Menu number two, what are the products you want to make? And at Eco Fashion Corp and Metaware, we can make women's apparel, men's, kids, baby, home, pet, pretty much all categories, sweaters, denim, knits, wovens. And then menu number three, what are your price targets? What are your volumes? What are your own strategic goals? And we work from mass to class. So we can work with high fashion designers and we that are luxury, and we can work with mass market retailers. And our mantra is to break the stigmas of sustainable fashion. Stigma number one is that you have to give up style, quality, fit, color, or comfort, right? And, you know, break that stigma of it being crunchy and frumpy and boxy and beige and boring, right? That's kind of the old school when people would think of sustainable fashion or, you know, sustainable home. Stigma two is, well, I'm going to have to pay so much more. So, you know, that becomes a roadblock. Well, our my whole business model throughout the course of my career has been to start at the source. Again, very metaphoric for what happened during the pandemic, where we had to go back to our own inner source, right? Because we couldn't go outside, but we could go inside. And people reset their priorities to think about what really matters, family, health, you know, our environment, you know, uh, collaboration, purpose in our businesses. Um, but to start at the source and build up the supply chain so that we're able to cut out all the inefficiencies and be as vertically integrated as possible to hit companies' target costs. So if we come to you and we say, all right, we can hit your style and execution and lead time goals, we can hit your target costs or come really close to them, and we can add value by having oversight on stigma number three, which is, well, how do I really know if it's sustainable or, you know, organic or, you know, socially just, or, you know, how do I really know that? And for us, it's all about embedding ethical and regenerative and sustainable manufacturing processes, as well as uh, preferred fibers and materials from the ground up into every single step we take. We vet, manage, oversee, inspect, quality control, logistics, every step in the supply chain we manage. And then we connect source to story to add even incremental value where we're able to deliver a storytelling toolkit that includes photos of the video and videos of the farmers and the factory workers, testimonials, you know, even dedicated farmer programs at our own farm project in India, where we're growing organic, regenerative and biodynamic cotton. We have blockchain technology that embeds full traceability from farm to finished product phase one of our blockchain, which goes all the way to a QR code on the product, right? Where the customer can then take that journey of the product. They can know the carbon footprint, how long the, how far the product has traveled, every touch point, every input, every certification, photos and videos. And now we have ESG data embedded into our blockchain. We're just piloting this now. We just launched with a company called Adore Me, um, a co-brand, which is Adore Me by Yes And. Um, yes And, kind of modeled after what I was speaking to, my mantra. Yes, you can have everything you want. And social and environmental accountability, right? It's the no compromise equation. We now have in that brand, waste, water, carbon, and energy metrics. And we're just getting started, but you know, that's why I say I've been doing this 30 years, but I'm still learning new things every single day, which is another reason I love this movement so much.
Well, it would make sense if what I believe would be consumers are demanding more sustainable fashion, that if you could create a product that is sustainable for a similar relative price, and it's better quality, and you could trace and have some storytelling aspect to it, that it would add value to that, that product or that service. I'm curious to know, like, what are those forces? Is it, is, the, is it the consumer that's driving this? Is it tailwinds of ESG investors that are putting pressure on the businesses? social media that are asking for more transparency to trust to you and your experience marcy like what are these forces okay so i would say it's probably three or four different things so first and foremost um you know i always liken what's happening now in in fashion or fiber as kind of maslow's hierarchy of needs that evolution where people know that their first basic need is food and there has been, you know, when I started in the organic industry in the 80s, like everybody knew each other globally that was in that industry. That's how small it was. Today in America, you know, 83% uh, of Americans are eating organic food, at least occasionally. And there's been a lot of science done by the Organic Trade Association and the Organic Center for Research and Education and a number of other major organizations that have and the Rodale Institute and, you know, that have really seen where, you know, organic is not just, you know, good for the planet and, and ultimately now good for people because there's no, you know, harmful chemicals and, you know, toxic, you know, herbicides like Roundup, which contains glyphosate, which is cancer causing, right? Or GMO seeds or, you know, so organic has taken root and crossed over to the mainstream where co today Costco is the largest buyer of organic food in America. It's no longer, you know, Whole Foods, right? So now that that has crossed over and people see, you know, words like organic in a different way and they and they have they trust the seal they're kind of inevitably going well what else what's next what more right like in maslow's hierarchy of needs our next basic need is shelter and clothing so when you move to that next level it's this you know inherent which is why i moved this in this direction it's this inherent well you can't support one part of the equation without the other because of the interconnection from agriculture to popular culture right and from farm to finished product, right? So what was once farm to table focused is now farm to home or farm to shelf or farm to body. Um, so it's thinking about that connection. Secondly, the internet has changed the game without a question. The younger generations have grown up where they can, you know, Google and ask the questions, you know, what's in my food? Who made my clothes? What's in them? How are they being made? And the fashion revolution movement, which was started you know, because of the Rana Plaza tragedy. So in 2013, you know, when 1133 people lost their lives with a, a garment factory that collapsed in Bangladesh, right. it created a massive global uproar. Like business as usual can't continue. All this outsourcing and outsourcing and outsourcing, you know, came debt crashing down where American brands were on the labels of, you know, of the floor of those crashing sects that building and you know and it really sort of started to to call out you know companies to be thinking differently about supply chains right thirdly i would say you know and the fashionrevolution.org which is where you can get more information about this really kind of set the tone for you know catalyzing consumers all over the world to start speaking out about fashion um, and then you have, you know, government policy for the first time that's happening, which is mind blowing to me. You have, you know, because of, 
more and more companies jumping on this bandwagon of, you know, talking about sustainable fashion and textiles and a lot of them because they're being held accountable to making climate commitments, right? Science, science-based climate commitments. And I'm the chair of the board of an organization called the Textile Exchange. And the Textile Exchange, you know, only a handful of years ago, we had maybe two or 300 members. Well, during COVID, we now have almost a thousand members of and every major company, you know, from around the world, um, small, middle and large size brands and retailers, uh, manufacturers. Um, and, you know, we've made a collective commitment to reduce our carbon footprint, you know, by 45 percent by 2030. And all these companies are scrambling, but they know they have to do it because the next generation of consumers, because of the Internet and they and they can you know learn about brands and retailers and what they are and they aren't doing. And social and digital media, which can be your best friend as a brand or retailer, can also be your worst enemy and you can get called out and ripped apart. And so what's happened is governments are now stepping up and they're saying, we're demanding accountability. And so the first governments in Norway, now they have greenwashing requirements. And in a few years, there's gonna be law around what you can say on a label as a fashion brand or retailer. And there's gonna be requirements around transparency in your supply chain, as well as you know adhering to and reporting on your science-based climate targets. And the US is right behind. We have an, an act in Congress right now called the Fabric Act. And then there's also been a bill in New York called the New York Fashion Sustainability Act. There was the Garment Workers Protection Act, which um, Gavin Newsom passed this past year. So, you know, the intersection of consumers, businesses and government is unlike ever before. I'm curious to, to learn what you think needs to change fundamentally from a business perspective, whether it's through design, right? Because design of a company, you know, most companies are trying to achieve profitability. Um, so from a design perspective, like do you see business having to make any fundamental changes to increase the trust of the public? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, the premise of my book, Eco Renaissance, is through the lens of design, we can change the world, mm -hmm. right? We have to design a different kind of reality. We have to design differently. We have to be thinking about the life cycle of a product right and thinking through kind of in the spirit of cradle to cradle right what we take from the earth we have to give back to the earth right we have to be looking through the lens in cradle to cradle for fashion the five pillars are you know material health material reuse water stewardship renewable energy and social justice and so it's looking through that lens or in my book i talk about you know the five c's of good design and it's embedding you know these principles into whether you're talking about food fashion beauty business art or wellness again the you know different spokes in the wheel i speak to the five c's are creativity right because we're all creators we can design and create anything we want if we set our mind to it and you know that's how we manifest, right? And then it becomes, you know, connection and understanding the interconnections I spoke to throughout this conversation. Community, that we're all a collective community. We're all in this together. It's not the me, it's the we, right? It's the one plus one equals 11, right? And, you know, collaboration, right? Stronger together than apart. And then consciousness, 
right? Another one of my favorite quotes is, we can't solve today's problems with the same consciousness that created them. And that's an Albert Einstein quote that, you know, really speaks to the fact that we have to change our consciousness. We have to climb this ladder and change our perspective as to the way we design and the way we see products and services, that they could be serving us versus hurting us. And it's not about sacrifice or deprivation. It is going back to what we said before. It's about value add. It's about shifting that paradigm of design and changing the way like, you know, in a fashion brand or retailer, oftentimes when I talk about those silos, you know, the buyers are incentivized by, you know, margin or they're incentivized by things that kind of become roadblocks for them to want to learn a different path because they don't want to do anything to try to break something or fix something that they think isn't broken right they think oh if i just keep doing the same thing you know i'll make more money right because i can keep making it cheaper 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 because i've you know i've mastered that and that's the way the systems are set up but all that does is it just it, it destroys and, and drives down the, the growers, the sowers, the makers, the producers to a point where it's just not sustainable. Their livelihoods are being compromised at the expense of, you know, others that are just, you know, not wanting to see the impacts that they're having. But I think that's changing now. And I do believe that, you know, because of that convergence that I spoke to around consumer demand growing and the millennials saying, you know, business as usual is no longer okay. We, you know, this whole great resignation, I think was about, you know, people seeking companies they want to be a part of something good. It's not about like, I don't want to work anymore, right? I think it was really about, people seeking purpose and passion and being a part of, you know, driving a better world. And so that does start with design. And in the case of fibers and materials, which is at the, the root of textiles, 70% of the impacts that we experience are at that level. So we really have to look at what kind of fibers are we using in our textiles, you know, instead of just conventional cotton, which, you know, again, it just breaks down our soil health. It creates you know, massive amounts of, of chemicals in the air and in the, in the runoff into the water systems. Um, you know, a lot of the chemicals that are being used are carcinogenic, um, not to mention in the processing of cotton, right? All the chlorine bleach and the formaldehyde, the heavy metals, um, the acetones, the toxic, you know, the flame retardants. I mean, these are all things that, you know, if you knew how harmful they were, you wouldn't want to put them, you know, in the air and the water and certainly not on your body. But, you know, then we wonder why, you know, 70% of our Americans are walking around with, you know, allergies and asthma, right? And skin conditions and chemical sensitivities and, you know, and so on. Well, Marcy, I appreciate you coming on the show today to educate more individuals to be more conscientious of the clothes that they wear, um, the decisions that they make, not just at home, but also, you know, in their organizations. Uh, it seems like, you know, in order to, solve a lot of these problems a lot of these are kind of uh, dependent on voluntary decisions uh, by the leaders of organizations to to make a chance and to make a stand before regulations and things come into play um, so if this ultimately boils down to a lot of leadership i'm curious to learn what your definition of a real leader is 
You know, I would say that a, a, a real leader is one that focuses on, you know, doing well by doing good in the world, embracing the five P's. Um, as I spoke to a good business, um, you know, people, planet, prosperity, passion and purpose. A real leader, you know, walks the talk and serves as a positive role model for others, you know, leveraging the power of business to affect positive change, designing systems that serve. And, you know, I would say a real leader really embraces the principles that I speak to in my book, you know, creativity, connection, community, consciousness, and collaboration. Because I think the key to, you know, unlock and manifest our true potential really lies in, you know, that kind of paradigm shift in business. Marcia, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, taking some time in Costa Rica to be on the show. <laughs> My favorite place. <laughs> thank you so Zeroff. much. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, design systems that serve, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Marcy. Thank you so much, Kevin. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Realtors.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.